This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Uh, we are speaking with Simon Tam, and he is an author, musician, activist, and certified troublemaker. Simon is best known as the founder of a basis for the band called The Slants, the world's first and only all-Asian American dance rock band. He's the founder of The Slants Foundation, an organization dedicated to providing scholarships and mentorship to artists, activists of color. And listen to this. He's been a keynote speaker, performer, and presenter at TEDx, South by Southwest, Comic-Con, to name a few, the Department of Defense, Stanford University, over 1,200 events across four continents. He has set the world record in total number of TEDx appearances with 12. Amazing. I love this idea that you're describing because you are you're infusing all of these things, the work that you've done uh, with President Barack Obama in the past, this hashtag act to change, this campaign to fight bullying. You've done all this work as part of the brand that you're building, your personal brand and the brand of the band. Talk a little bit about how that strategic decision to build the social justice piece uh, became a way to kind of differentiate what you were doing from other things that were out there. I think when I initially started, I, I didn't really think of it as, as that or, you know, like a lot of companies would treat it as like this strategic philanthropy effort. It was more like I was just responding to the audiences and, and the needs that I was hearing from them. Uh, but once we decided to kind of pick up this mantle, I, I, I started thinking, like, what are the values that w- we want to be able to communicate with other people? Like, what are the core things that we represent? Mm-hmm. How can we do so? both on and off stage. And as part of that, I realized that a lot of our work actually was beyond just the stage and studio. Mm -hmm. It was volunteering for organizations. It was fundraising for other charities. And it was trying to like use our our platform as, as influencers to kind of provide that voice for our community. And one of the great things that I started realizing is that the more you give to the community, the more you kind of get back. Like mm-hmm. you get back far more than you could ever give to other people when you're when you're generous, when you when you're sincere about it. And so that's how all these opportunities opened up. Like the White House and the Department of Defense called us only wow. after we were pouring out um, support for our community for many years. You know, they watched us do work like kind of get out to vote. Um, mm-hmm. campaigns where we helped increase voter participation in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. where they saw how we raised enough money to rescue a family of refugees from North Korea. Wow. Like all these things built up all this kind of goodwill within our community that when the time came for the, the really big opportunities, people said, well, of course, use this band. They, they've been cons- consistent. They've been frequently contributing to our community. And like it, it allowed us to build this like solid reputation with a very, very um, solid body of work behind it. This is an amazing story. Uh, Simon, I want you to definitely spend a little bit of time now talking about the the band and the controversy associated with the band and your journey with the Supreme Court. So in 2009, uh, a friend of mine who's an attorney recommended that I apply to register uh, for our trademark. Mm-hmm. It's something that's actually very common for bands to do. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you're out in the headlines, you want to make sure that other bands aren't hijacking your same name mm-hmm. and using it on their own. Mm-hmm. In fact, I actually ran into a situation where that happened. Oh, re- really? But, yeah, actually two other bands, one in Arizona, <laughs> one in Colorado, both started calling themselves the slants. 
And I only knew about it because fans bought tickets to the wrong band. (laughs) And when I tried to, like, straighten it out with the Uh venue, the venue refused to give them their money back. Oh, interesting. So my friend's like, you you got to actually report apply for this trademark uh-huh, uh-huh. So now sorry to interrupt this simon were these were these just like uh, copy bands or because they they had heard about you and your and your band's success and they said we're just going to straight up copy it right you know i i'm not exactly sure like, they weren't asian bands they the oh they were kind of totally different <laughs> wow so I'm, I'm not sure if it's just gotcha. mm-hmm. is like a pretty common phrase or because they they saw this momentum behind our band i'm, mm. I'm not exactly sure mm-hmm. but you know, whatever the situation is, like, you just can't go calling yourself the same name as somebody else. Like, people shouldn't go around calling themselves the Beatles. Mm. You know? <laughs> right. That, that things, I mean, th- these things exist for a reason, and that's to make sure that fans don't get confused. Right. So I was like, okay, applying for a trademark seems like a good idea. Uh, the problem is, a few months after we applied, the trademark office comes back to us and says, you can't register this Lance because that name is disparaging or oh, offensive to Asian people. Wow. And of course, I was like, wait, we're Asian people. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, you know, most of our audience, uh-huh. most of the work we've been doing for two years uh-huh. was in the Asian community. So mm-hmm. I was like, where, where are they getting this information from? And sorry, to make sure, I, make sure I have this right, Simon, what was the governmental agency and or body that made this uh, declaration to you and your band? That was the U.S. Trademark Office. Okay, the U.S. so the U.S. Trademark Office says we are not going to register this, because, register this name because we believe it is offensive. That's what they said to you. Yes. Wow. Yeah, they're using an old provision of law um, called Section 2A of the Lanham Act basically is written in the 1940s (laughs) it says you can't register stuff that the government thinks might be scandalous immoral or disparaging interesting Mm -hmm. the funny thing is for them to be able to justify a like a denial they have to find what's called like a substantial composite of the group to be offended so Mm. they would in this case have to find a ton of asian people who are upset by our name Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the the problem is they didn't find a single one (laughs) Because all of you, all of the, all of the Asian fans were understanding of what the whole premise of the brand's band, the band's brand was all about, right, Simon? Yeah, they were they were in our <laughs> corner. They were supportive. Like yeah. we already demonstrated all that great work and community uh, partnerships. So the only thing they could find was an UrbanDictionary.com entry, hmm. and <laughs> and that's what they used. Wow. And so that set us off on a very long path to try and appeal it, which is the weirdest thing in the world. Because, like, if you think about it, uh-huh. how would you try and prove you're not offensive to yourself? <laughs> like, that's interesting. A, you know. <laughs> that's interesting. That's very interesting. Because you've got 18 million uh, Asian Americans out there. And so, I mean, what, what, what was the idea? Like, we're going to just start producing testimonials? I mean, what was – how did how, – I mean, and first of all, why is the burden of proof on you and your band, I guess, is another question. Uh, well, legally speaking, the burden of proof is actually on the trademark office. But because they made this accusation, they flipped it around to us. Interesting. And it's a weird thing because it's a lot easier to prove something is offensive than that it's not offensive. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we did do things like, as you mentioned, got testimonials. So they're called legal declarations, which is kind of like an affidavit. And we got many of those signed by executive directors of 
nonprofit organizations that work in Asian Americans and social justice. We got those. We got academics, so uh, professors, including a linguistics expert who wrote a 70-page paper on the history of the term slant, saying, no, oh, wow. these guys aren't offensive, but it's actually more often than not, the, the term is used in a self-empowering kind of way. Mm. Uh, we got organizers of, from from other people who use slant in this kind of positive way, uh, like the Slant Film Festival, which was the second biggest Asian-American film festival in the country, and Slant TV and Slanted Kings, a comedy tour, all the right and say, like, look, we're all using the name. We have no problems. No one's ever complained. Um, and we also did two independent national surveys, like scientific surveys conducted, wow. uh, which was a first. Like, no one who was re- rejected under this law had ever done a survey before. Interesting. So it became the biggest appeal in U.S. history. Like, in fact, the, the appeal was so large. Like, there's so many like pages to this thing, I was actually worried about how much it would cost to get scanned at Kinko. <laughs> but uh, my attorney's like, you know what? I think wow. we should pay for shipping. Like, put this in a in a giant box, mm-hmm. send it to the trademark office, so that they have to hand scan every one of these pages. Interesting. So, of course, I was like, yeah, I'll go have these on that. <laughs> um, but we we send this in, and they said it's not good enough. They, oh. they called our effort laudable but not influential. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Laudable, but not influential. Wow. Yeah, and so, so what, what did you do at that point? Yeah. What did you do at that point, Simon? Well, um, at that point, my, my attorney was burnt out and so decided he needed to step back from law. So oh. I found another lawyer, one who ran a blog called likelihoodofconfusion.com, which mm. is kind of like a trademark geek blog. Mm. And he seemed pretty sharp. So he reached out to him and he agreed to take the case on pro bono. Mm. But he says, as long as you fight like this, you're not going to win. Because it turns out no one in the entire history since this law has been around for about 70 years uh, has ever won on appeal if they were accused of violating this law. Gotcha. So the the government said, you can always appeal, but what they don't tell you is you can never win. Mm. So he says, let's change our strategy here. He says, let's go ahead and reapply. This time we will not tell them it's for an Asian ban because hmm. slant means a lot of different things. Maybe oh. they'll just think of like a <laughs> kind of benign, ordinary word, right. not associated with you and, and rubber stamp it through. We, <laughs> we reapply. Wow. And the trademark office gives us the exact same attorney uh, who basically copies and pastes previous rejection. Oh, okay. And okay. So it was a clever thought, actually, but it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. But in doing so, they actually broke their own rules mm. because, according to their procedures manual, uh-huh. you're actually supposed to do a fresh search to see the context of the trademark mm. uh, to see if it's changed. And he didn't actually do that. So we started appealing on these like very procedural and evidentiary based issues. And then, meanwhile, we found out that the government didn't have a problem with slant before mm-hmm. there were over 800 other trademarks registered with the term slant mm-hmm. so we're like why why this ban what, what's up with this ban but yet everyone else who's ever applied for this thing is, has been okay mm-hmm. well that's when the government said that we were actually too asian oh 
Wow. <laughs> this is this goes from bad to just bizarre. This is amazing. It, but the, yes, their their exact words were it is incontestable that the applicant is Asian and part of an Asian band. So it, it basically their logic was well, if you go to the slants.com you see those words look at the faces next to them how could anyone not think of racial slur mm-hmm. but that's a more convoluted way of saying anyone can register the slants as long as they're not asian mm-hmm. so in, in a sense to fight against racial discrimination they were actually discriminating <laughs> against me racially right interesting and we we challenged this on and on for for a few more years wow eventually it went before the U.S. Supreme Court, and the court decided, hold on a second, let's take a step back and decide, is this law even constitutional, Mm. or does it violate the First Amendment? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's where we argued, yeah, we think it's unconstitutional because it's an abridgment of freedom of speech. Mm. Interesting. And so the Supreme Court ruled in the slant's favor, yes? Unanimously in our favor, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, this is like what band in history has ever had this kind of event happen to them? This is amazing stuff, Simon. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's funny because I a lot of times people are like, "Well, did you ever imagine it would happen?" and all this, but I'm like, "How does anyone think?" Oh, I'm going to go to the Supreme Court because I want to name my band the Slant. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one can predict any of this. No one can predict just, any of this. Yeah, you just. We're just trying to take it one step at a time, and we were very, perhaps naive in thinking, oh, let's just register this trademark, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. We didn't realize it would that it could even be controversial because we never received a single complaint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it only became an issue once the government made a big deal out of it. Gotcha, gotcha. I love this because this is pointing to the power we've been talking about in this program today, Simon, the idea of activism and, and controversy and how all of these things play into the role of, of marketing and business leadership and, and branding and things of that nature. So this is an amazing, absolutely amazing story. Uh, and I'm so glad that you shared it with us because I think that the, one of the major points here is that when you when you do something in business that tries to infuse this caring aspect, this uh, desire to, to impact others in a positive way, you're actually creating a lot of great goodwill for your brand. And so you're setting yourself up to have a deeper connection and set of relationships with your consumers. Simon Tam, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Listeners, you can find more about Simon at, wait for it, theslants.com. <laughs> you can also follow him on Twitter at Simon the Tam, one word. And listeners, if you are enjoying this as a podcast, remember that our show, Marketing Matters, airs live on Sirius XM, channel 132, here every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m., but we're also replayed Saturdays at midnight, Sundays, uh, 8 to 10 p.m., and Mondays, 2 to 4 a.m. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 